Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Today, I want to begin maybe reviewing a little bit about the blood of Jesus. When we understand the operation of the blood of Jesus, it will help us walk as children of God. It will help us be more stalwart in the righteousness that we are in Christ because the blood of Jesus is a supernatural force and cleansing agent for the people of God. And when I came into a relationship with God, I believed in the blood of Jesus to cleanse me of my guilt. And it was only because there was a person who came to the hospital where my first husband was being kept alive by machines in the ICU. And this person had heard he was from the church where my children attended and and their grandmother attended. And he had heard about it and came to pray, pray for uh, uh, Bo Cosby in the in the ICU, and then he wanted to pray with me. And in that time, he, in conversation, he wouldn't let me give him a yes or no answer because I really didn't want to have this conversation. I didn't want to talk about God. I didn't know anything about God, and I wasn't interested in knowing anything about God, I thought. But the more that he talked... He kept pointing to what Jesus had done for me. And it was the first time that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross became real to me. That he died to help me. That he gave his life to help free me from the mess that my life was in. And in that conversation, I remember having just a little glimmer of hope thinking... If that's true, if, if Jesus could help me, if God would help me, I need help. I, it was the first time that I had even a, a, a small opening in my heart to consider that God would help me. Before that time, I thought God hates me. I was, I was so under a burden of guilt for the wrong that I had done that I did not even consider God as an option in in helping me. And I'm going to share things from a perspective of where I am today because if I had known when I first got saved the difference between guilt and shame, I would have moved farther along in my walk with God more quickly. There was an area in the beginning of my walk with God that was limited and hindered and you could even say 
um, my growth was stunted in those beginning years because I lacked this knowledge that I'm about to give you today. And so the difference between guilt and shame is this. I'm going to define the two for us, okay? Guilt is the condition of the, that the condition a person is in because of the violation, the trespass, the sin, the wrong they have done. The condition a person is in because of the trespass, the violation, the sin that they have committed, the wrong that they have done. You can find a person guilty in a court of law. They would, they would make that determination based on evidence. They would bring that evidence to determine their guilt or their innocence. What are they looking for? Did they commit the crime? Did they trespass against that rule? Against, did they violate the law? Well, the guilt produces shame. Shame is that consciousness or that feeling or that awareness of what I've done wrong. The awareness of what I've done wrong. When I came to know Jesus, I came with the knowledge that his blood had cleared my record of the guilt that I had done. That all of the sins that I had done because the blood of Jesus was applied to those sins paid the debt for those sins and therefore I was no longer guilty. And my faith was in the fact that I was no longer guilty. That's important, isn't it? But I did not recognize that shame was still operative in my life. It was still in motion. Why? Because it was in a different area. It was in my consciousness. It was, it was an awareness of my shame. So even though I was no longer guilty and I believed that Jesus had completely removed that off my record, completely expunged my record, I still felt guilty. And so I would come to God and I would say, I know Jesus has died for me and I know I'm not guilty of that. And I know that I'm no longer a sinner, uh, but I don't feel worthy to receive. I don't feel worthy to ask you. So my prayer life was limited. And, And when we learn about righteousness, and you know, I've done a lot of teaching on righteousness, redeemed and righteous by nature, and it's because... I learned it in this aspect. The the righteousness is needed for my approach with God as well as my dealing with the devil. If I don't know I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the enemy will push me around. He'll trespass and, and I'll just say, well, I'm not worthy. I don't know what to do about it. You know, and the Jesus, you've got to do something. Why? Because I don't realize that I am in that righteousness, equipped to rebuke him, resist him, and move him off that situation. So if I, if I have shame, righteousness isn't working. If shame is standing up saying, this is happening because of something you've done, 
This is happening because, you know, of the life you live before Christ. This is happening because, uh, you know, you're not perfect. This is happening. All of that shame, it nullifies my right standing. It hinders my right standing from working. Right standing is mine. It's available to me. But if I am allowing shame, righteousness isn't working. So when I understood the difference between the two was when I did a study on the blood of Jesus. And so I need for us to understand the blood and how the blood is in God's plan so that we can see the, the working of the blood, not only against our guilt, but also against our shame. When, when I began to attend church, I knew nothing about the Bible. I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know anything about Bible stories. I mean, I was a newbie. And I, I remember how weirded out I was the first time that they started talking about blood. Now, listen, I've watched all the horror stories. I watched all those, you know, before Christ. I had watched all of those things that were bloody and gory. But here I am in church thinking, who do they think they are talking about blood in church? I was, I was, I was shocked. I was a little bit, you know, what is going on here? What's all this blood? And the first time I heard about Abraham taking Isaac up, I thought, why would God even ask him to do that? Not realizing the the illustration or the covenant aspect of what God had asked Abraham to do. But the more that I studied about the blood, the more that I see the necessity for it. So in the Bible, we see God created Adam and Eve, and he had his perfect will in place in their life. In the beginning, before the fall, God had things the way he wanted it. Mankind was in authority. They'd been given authority over all the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, over everything that creeps upon the earth. They were in the blessing. Everything they put their hands to was blessed. They had been given authority on the earth and the responsibility of being God's representative on the earth and that meant that they had authority over the garden and they were going to multiply and not just multiply in having children but they were going to spread the blessing of God throughout the earth amen well when Adam and Eve sinned they fell out of God's plan God's plan is no longer the plan in operation and in that fall God, in his mercy, knew I've got to cover them. And the first reference to blood in the Bible is there in the garden when God provided animal skins to cover Adam and Eve. In that covering, and the book of Psalms says that they were crowned with glory, Hebrews Chapter 2 also uses that quote from Psalms that man was crowned in glory, but when they sinned, they suddenly said, we are naked. So glory was no longer their covering, and God covered them with the animal skins, which required innocent animals 
to sacrifice their lives so that man could be covered. And that's the first reference that we have. But I want you to see the reason. And if you'll look at this throughout every interaction that, that God has given blood to provide, the purpose of blood is relationship. The reason for the blood is to maintain a relationship with God. The blood is access to God. The blood is entrance to God. We see that the high priest could only enter in to the holy of holies with blood. It says not without blood. And for him to enter, blood was in his possession to put on the mercy seat to cover the sin of the people And Jesus, the entire reason for him being born of a virgin and coming to this earth, never sinning, and we're going to talk more about that in detail, but the purpose was relationship. The purpose was relationship. So when we look at blood, we need to recognize that God has given the blood for us to have relationship with him. Now, it was a limited relationship with animal blood. What the animal blood could provide was not a cleansing, only a covering. And then we see in the conversation that God has with Cain that blood was something he was teaching them to bring. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7, this is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, God said to Cain, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? If you do what is right, Genesis 4, 7, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? What was he trying to do? He was trying, this was about an offering, wasn't it? He was trying to bring an offering out of the dirt, out of the cursed place, out of the ground. And trying to bring that offering, and God didn't accept that offering. But he accepted Cain's offering, or Abel's offering. God accepted Abel's offering, and and he did not accept Cain's offering. What did Abel bring? He brought the first of his flock. He brought a lamb. He brought an animal and, and sacrificed that animal and the blood of that animal. And the Bible says in Hebrews that Abel offered by faith. Where does faith come from? Hearing. If God was talking to Cain and Abel offered by faith, God talked to Abel too. He's having conversations with them and he is telling them what's the right thing to bring. And Cain knew what was right to bring and didn't want to bring it. He wanted to bring what he wanted to bring. And it would not cover him. The offering he was bringing was not accepted because it wasn't capable of of bringing that relationship. Why? There was sin because of Adam's sin. There was sin that had to be covered. God is a holy God. And he wanted to have relationship with Cain. He wanted to have this interaction with Cain. And he's saying, if you would do what is right, what is right, bring blood to cover because the life of that innocent animal will effectively cover you so that we can interact. 
Throughout the Old Testament, we see the blood on the altars. Noah, we talk about Noah. What did he take into the ark? Two of every kind. He took more than that. He took two of every animal, but he also took, before the, the, the rain started, he loaded up the offering he was going to sacrifice after this was all over. He not only took, it, it goes on and gives the specifics of what he brought for an offering in addition to all of the animals that came in two by two. Why? Because he knew when this Flood is over. When this time, this season is over, I'm going to need to have this for my interaction with God. He knew that in his, his interaction with God, that blood was required in his approach to God. And in the Old Testament, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses is having a conversation with them. I think it's in Numbers chapter 24. He, is, he takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the people. And then in chapter 25, God says, I want to have a sanctuary right in your midst. Why? Because the blood had come to the people. God could interact with them in a closer, more intimate relationship. And so God establishes the Old Testament tabernacle. Uh, the Old Testament tabernacle in the wilderness, the central focus of the tabernacle was blood. I mean, at the very center of this outer court was the brazen altar. And the people would come, and it was surrounded with the, the goat skin or the, the ram skins and the uh, beaver skins, whatever kind of skins they were on the outside, they, they brought to the front gate and they, they, they brought their offerings to the brazen altar and they could witness the sacrifice on the altar. And that's as far as the people went. But the blood was that, that symbolism of this lamb is giving its life for me to have relationship with God, for me to have an interaction with God. And so it was the blood on the altar that allowed God to look over their sin. It covered their sin. It didn't cleanse their sin, but God was able to have this limited relationship with them. And I'll tell you, if you've ever had to go to prison to visit anybody and you are limited in your time with them, you're limited in, in, in what kind of interaction you can have with them, you, you have to sit in a certain place and you have to maybe in some places you have to have a glass between you. That's what the Old Testament sacrifices were like to God. That God had to come visit his family. The people who he loves so much. He created. Now he's limited in his interaction with them. And he's having to visit them on prison terms. He's having to interact with them in that limited way. He can't be what he really wants to be in their life. He can't have the place that he really wants to have. He wants to live in them. 
but he can't live in them because they are in a fallen condition. They are sinners by nature. They, the spiritual death is governing their spirit. They are not alive unto God. And so God had to prepare a way to bring them back to his original plan. So let's look at Exodus chapter 12. And let's see in this picture that was established for the people of God. Because all throughout the Old Testament, God was teaching them substitution. He was helping them to get that ingrained in them. Every time, every year, every year they brought their animal sacrifice to the altar. They were practicing the lesson of substitution. This animal is giving its life in my place. Exodus chapter 12, he gives them a lamb. The, the night before, they are brought out of, out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. He says, we need a lamb. And verse 3 of Exodus 12, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, in the 10th day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So it was the father's responsibility to provide a lamb for his house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood. They shall take of the blood. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So the doorpost, the top... And both sides of the door were to be covered with the blood. They were to purposefully apply the blood to the entrance of their house. To the entrance of their house. Yes. Whenever we see a house illustrated in the Bible, for instance, Jesus said, the man who builds this house upon the sand is a foolish man. The man who built his house upon the rock is the person who hears my sayings and does them. He's not talking about a house. He's talking about our life. In the same way, he's talking about applying the blood to the entrance of your life so that no devouring, no destroying has entrance. Why? There's a blood covering over the entrance to your life. That hasn't gone away. This was a picture of the reality we have in Christ. This was a, an image, this was a model, this was an example of what belongs to us in Jesus. We take of the blood of our lamb and we put it over our lives. And we say, 
You, there is no devouring permitted in my life. My children will not be devoured because I apply the blood over my children, over my grandchildren. I, uh, I take the blood and I put it in place over these areas of my life, over my marriage, over my finances. I take of the blood. And this blood, this blood applied to the entrance of our lives is a sign. He goes on in verse 12. He said, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token a sign of something, a sign of something. This blood is a sign. It signals. It's a signal. This blood is a marker. This blood is like when, when you, uh, you know, you see those movies and if a ship had been taken in battle, they take down a flag and they put up the flag of whoever has conquered it. The blood is a flag to say who owns who has the, the governing force here? Who's in charge here? The blood is a signal. It is a sign, a token upon your life, upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood, so blood can be seen. When you apply the blood of Jesus, there is a, a spiritual application that is visible in the spirit realm. You're not just saying something. We're never just saying something. When I say I plead the blood over my life today, I'm not just saying something. I'm doing something in the spirit. And the angels can see the blood applied to my life. The adversary can see the blood applied to my life. There's a signal. There's a marker. I am, I am marked with that blood. The blood will be a sign, a token and when I see the blood, what's he looking for? He's looking, at, is this a blood washed? Is this person, is this house a blood protected house? He's looking for it. What, what's, what is he trying to find to distinguish between the judgment coming on and the judgment not coming on? The blood. Glory to God. Glory to God. He said, when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Hallelujah. So the blood has supernatural ability, supernatural protective ability. The blood of Jesus is greater than the blood of this natural earthly lamb that provided their faith in that lamb was was advanced faith in Jesus. Faith in advance because their lamb was the picture of the lamb we have. That's what John said when he announced Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 29. He said, Behold the lamb of God. Remember, it is the father's responsibility to provide the lamb for the house. The lamb of God. God has provided a lamb. God, our Father, has provided a lamb 
And this lamb, now listen, these people that John the Baptist is speaking to, they have practiced the lesson of substitution all of their lives. And now they hear John saying something that goes against everything they've been practiced. It goes a step further than anything they've ever seen in manifestation because they've practiced their sins being covered every year. Every year I go and the blood of my sacrifice covers my sin, but you're telling me that there is a lamb who has blood that is capable of removing sin from my life, of taking sin from out of my heart, taking sin from the midst of me, you're telling me there's a blood that's capable of completely cleansing me of every wrong I've ever done? Taking away sin was something that was a new concept. Covering sin, they had seen that. They'd experienced that. They had participated in that. But John the Baptist was anointed for the purpose of declaring that there is a lamb provided by our heavenly father. And the blood of this lamb will take away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this blood... Our faith in this blood, having a, a spiritual understanding, a scriptural understanding, what is it about Jesus' blood that makes his blood different from any other human being and makes his blood different from any of the animals that were sacrificed? What is it about his blood? And that's when we recognize that Jesus, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, Jesus was the Word made flesh. We see in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 that it gives Jesus rightful, legal place being born into this earth. The reason for the gospel of bringing out the genealogy, the begats, this one begat this one, and this one begat this one, and it goes all the way up until Jesus was born. Why? Because he legally was born into the earth, but he wasn't born of any descendant of Adam. He was born legally through the womb. And in John chapter 10, it says, the, the shepherd comes legally through the door. What's the door? To be born in the womb. But he wasn't born of the seed of Adam. Every human being born of Adam's lineage, of Adam's seed, had the blood of Adam. And Adam's blood had been tainted by sin. So every human being had sin-tainted blood. Corrupted blood, but Jesus' blood is an incorruptible blood. How did his blood become different, yet he was born human? John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, The Word became flesh. The Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. Everything God created, he created by the Word. All things that exist exist because they originated from the Word. Jesus, the Word of God, before He entered into the womb of Mary, 
He existed in the form of God's Word. The second person of the Godhead, the Word of God in creation, God said He was there involved in every step of creation. So when God sent His Word to Mary and Mary received His Word and said, Be it unto me according to your Word, the Word went into her womb and became Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus born as the Son of Man. Jesus consistently referred to himself as the Son of Man. But he was born of a virgin. We, we have to maintain that in our our. Not just in the mind. We have to maintain faith. Jesus was born of a virgin. How can you be born of a virgin? The word became flesh. For his blood to qualify as our payment for sin, it had to be sinless blood. It had to be spotless blood. And the only way that that could happen is God had to get into this earth legally Someone who did not have Adam's descendant DNA in it. So if you could have taken a blood test of Jesus when he walked on the earth, or if you could go into heaven today where his blood is, the same blood that was in his veins is still accessible. The the blood of Jesus that poured out on the cross, it it didn't just dissolve into the ground and it's gone forever, no. It is on the mercy seat of God. It is on the mercy seat of God speaking better things than the blood of Abel spoke for him. Amen? The blood of Jesus is still accessible, and we could do a DNA test on that blood and find out that God is the Father. God is the Father. Adam's Lineage was not passed down in Jesus, yet Jesus was legally born as a man, a man alive unto God. And so from the moment he was conceived in his mother's womb by the word spoken from that moment, the life of God dwelt in him when he came forth, born into this earth, he came forth with the life of God in him. He was alive unto God and never sinned. He was legally in a human body and never sinned. He, did, he was not omniscient. He was not omnipresent. He came legally as a redeemer. And it says he stripped himself in Philippians chapter 4. He stripped himself, Philippians 2. He, he stripped himself of those godlike qualities, you could say, the omniscience, the omnipresence, the omnipotence. And he came as a man. And as a man, he was tempted. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, in all points he was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In all points he was tempted, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he, that he made Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. 
When sin came on Jesus, it was a willful receiving of the punishment of sin without having ever participated in a sin. He became the punishment of sin and never sinned. The innocent for the guilty. Hebrews 9.14 says, Through the eternal spirit, Jesus offered himself without spot. Without spot. When he went to the cross, he went to the cross without spot. Hallelujah. And 1 Peter 1.19, With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Jesus' blood from the very beginning was the blood of God, the DNA of God in the blood of Jesus, the life of God in the blood of Jesus. In Acts chapter 20, it tells us this in verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which... He has purchased with his own blood. God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Hallelujah. So the blood of Jesus is sinless blood. The blood of Jesus is alive with the life of God. Leviticus 17. I'm going to read verse 11 from the New Living. For the life of the body is in its blood. We know that if our blood pours out of our body, our body would no longer be alive. The blood is what transports the life power, the oxygen, the nutrition, all of the different things that keep the organs of our body. If any specific part of your body loses its blood supply, like sometimes I like to watch those... um, uh, ambulance shows, and they'll, they'll, if someone gets a broken leg, and, and let's say it's a, a big break right up here in the middle of the leg, they start watching that foot, and they're checking the foot for its blood supply, and they say, we've got to get this leg reset because it's cutting off the blood supply, and if the foot goes very long without blood supply, it will die. All the flesh of it will die, and we'll have to amputate the foot. Why? Because the blood supply is bringing life to that area. Hallelujah. He said the life of the body is in the blood. And the new living of Leviticus 17.11 goes on to say, I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. Making you right with the Lord. The King James uses the word to make an atonement for your souls. That's why I brought that living translation, new living for us. Making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. The blood given in exchange for a life makes purification possible. The God's Word translation said, blood contains life. I've given you the blood because blood contains life. I've given this blood to you to make peace with me on the altar. The Bible says that in him we have peace with God. Through Christ we have peace with God. He's talking about the peace in the relationship. 
He's not talking about the, the, the fruit of the spirit peace or the feeling of peace or a freedom from calamity kind of peace. He's talking about a restoration of relationship, a reconciliation. We're no longer at odds with God. We're no longer limited. We're no longer in the prison uh, 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 family visitation room with God. He's taken us out of that limitation and he's made our relationship a reconciled, restored relationship where we have access to him. We have entrance into his presence because we're purified by the blood. The blood is needed to make peace with me, it says in God's word translation. Blood is needed to make peace with me. So let me tell you what, we're going to go back now for just a minute to guilt and shame. Guilt affects the way God can relate to us. As long as we are guilty, we need the access of the blood to cleanse us from the guilt before God can have that liberty to operate in our lives the way he wants to operate. Guilt affects the way God can relate to us, but shame affects the way I relate to God. Shame is what is hindering so many people who love God. They are children of God, and they believe that the blood has dealt with their guilt. They believe that Jesus on the cross paid the price to free them from the guilt, but they still carry the shame, shame of things done to them. Shame of of being molested. Shame of of someone uh, uh, divorcing them. Shame of someone uh, abandoning them. Shame of them being adopted because they feel like I was unwanted. That shame of things that happened to them or shame of things that we did. The shame of the things that I've done. Yes, I know Jesus paid for it, but I remember Remember, shame is in the conscious. Shame is in the, in the conscience, and it affects the way I view myself. It is affecting because I'm viewing myself that way, I'm not reaching for God the way that I should. So in the same way that we take the blood and we apply it to the entrance of our home, our life, we apply the blood to our life in, in the initial receiving of Jesus as Lord, We've got to recognize there's an application of the blood. And this is what I found that changed my life, that took me out of that place of stunted growth and limited interaction with God in the beginning years of my life. This is what I found. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. And Hebrews chapter 10 brings a comparison between what the Old Testament sacrifices could do versus what the New Testament sacrifice of Jesus' blood can do. So let's just view it a little bit here. Hebrews 10.1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, it could never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year. We're talking about those sacrifices. So these sacrifices could never make the people who were coming to God, it could never make them perfect. And the word perfect means complete. It could never make them complete. Why? They had to come every year. 
it was not cleansing them. It was just covering their sin. So he's saying that could never make their relationship with God a, 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 a complete relationship. They were hindered. They were at arm's length from God. But verse 14 of this same chapter tells us what Jesus' sacrifice did. By one offering, he has perfected. It said in verse 1 that the blood of the animals could not make them perfect in their walk with God, their relationship. But Jesus' blood, verse 14, by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So our relationship with God by the blood of Jesus is a relationship without those limits, without those restraints, without that space that God had to keep from us. We can now be his children and he can dwell in us and be our God. Amen. Now, then it also says, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just skip over here to verse 4. It says that the blood of these sacrifices... It was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. If you'll back up to 9 and look at verse 12, chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. So in his blood... Redemption, a complete taking away of those sins, is, is available. He did that. But then the next verse starts with for, which is like a conjunction. It keeps you going for or because. It's a preposition. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, and I, sprinkling, wait, 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 blood on the altar, right? Blood on the altar. Wasn't that what happened it, when they came in to bring their sacrifice? They took the sacrifice to the altar, and that's what the cross is. The cross is our altar. We have an altar, Hebrews chapter 13 says. We have an altar. What is our altar? The, the cross where the blood of Jesus was poured out. He offered his life on that altar of the cross and we have that altar where we come to him and we receive those sins taken away. But now this verse 14 and 13, let's go back to 13, is talking about a separate application of the blood. An application of the blood that was additional to the blood that was placed on the altar for their sin offering. It says the blood of bulls and goats and mixed with the ashes of the heifer, they took that blood and sprinkled the people and it sanctified them to the purifying of the flesh. And now we've got a comparison again. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, so pull that part out, how much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience? Oh, that's what I needed. 
Oh, Lord, I need that right there. I need my conscience purged because I believe that my sin debt was paid. But every time I try to approach you about this need, I don't feel worthy. I feel like there's still something standing between us. And it wasn't from God's direction to me. The guilt was already removed. It was me to him, the shame. It was the shame affecting the way I approached God. And I didn't know there was blood for my shame. I knew there was blood for my guilt. But the application of the blood to cleanse my conscience, to cleanse my conscience from the shame that the sin I had committed and the sin of the things that people had done to me. That blood applied to my conscience freed me to come into his presence with boldness. Freed me to come into his presence like his child and not having to come in apologizing for 30 minutes before I could even get over into anything else. Oh, Lord, I'm so unworthy, and Lord, I just don't feel like this, and Lord, I've made such a mistake here, and Lord, I've failed so much here. When you sin, confess it. He is faithful and just to cleanse you of it. But you don't have to go around and, and talk about it to him to beat yourself up. Enough so that he feels like, okay, you've, you've learned enough from that. He provides the blood so that you can cleanse your conscience and that you can serve God acceptably. Is that what it says? So that you can purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So I wanted to find out what is this, this sprinkling of the blood? Let's go back and let's look at Exodus 24. I made mention, and I think I said Numbers 24 when I was saying it earlier in the, in the session, but Exodus 24. And we'll look at verses 6 through 8. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, And half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Hallelujah. The blood of the covenant. What did he do with this blood? He sprinkled it on them. And in doing so, he purified them. And as I mentioned in the very next chapter, chapter 25 and verse 8, God says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Why? Because now they've been sanctified. I can have a closer interaction with them. Hallelujah. Now, Leviticus 16 also gives us a reference to the sprinkling of the blood versus just the blood being poured out on the altar. Leviticus 16, 14. 
And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place. We saw that word atonement in the other scripture, Leviticus 17, 11, where he said, I'll give you the blood for an atonement. And, and we saw from the God's word translation that it means to make peace with me. So he's making, he's, he's putting the blood on the different pieces of worship in the, in the instruments or furniture of worship in the holy place and the most holy place. He says, he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. So shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall no man in the tabern- there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goes in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar round about. Verse 19, he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it. And hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. We live in a time we need the blood just to cleanse us from what we just saw in that commercial we never intended to see. Lord, I plead the blood over my mind right now. Erase that. Amen? So this was God's legal way of giving them an approach to him even though they were in In their nature and in their spiritual condition, they were spiritually dead and they were sinners by nature. You and I are spiritually alive. We are righteous by nature and the blood is what has given us that change in our nature, made available for the life of God to come in us and maintains that flow of life for us. Hallelujah. Now, this sprinkling of the blood is referred to back in Hebrews 9. Go back with me to Hebrews 9. We read here where it said, uh, if the blood of bulls and goats, verse 13, sprinkling the unclean, and then how much more, verse 14, shall the blood of Christ. So if they sprinkled the blood to cleanse them so that they could serve God He says, we can sprinkle the blood of Christ. We can apply the blood of Christ to purge our conscience. Verse 19, when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. We read that, didn't we? Saying, this is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you. Verse 21, Moreover, he sprinkled with blood the, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged 
With blood and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So the shame needs the blood application to it. The shame needs the blood application to it. Why? Because we need the purging. We need the cleansing. This word purge that is used here is a word that means to remove by cleansing, but it also means to dedicate or consecrate. So it's not just a purging so that it can be for normal use. In the purging, in the cleansing, now it is set aside for use in the tabernacle. All of those things that we saw, the purpose of the blood upon those things was so that those were now qualified to provide that receiving of the offering to to, uh, uh, make available that interaction with God, that entrance with God. The reason we wanted the blood on the altar, they wanted that blood on the altar. Why? Because that altar is that... That altar is is receiving my sacrifice. And the blood on the altar sanctifies it. And the blood over your life sanctifies your life. You see, I'm, I'm saying that your life is not just a natural, ordinary human life when the blood of Jesus is applied to it. Now you are a set apart life. Your mind is a set apart mind. Your life is for a holy purpose. Your life is qualified now and equipped through the blood so that you are qualified to serve God. You are qualified to represent him to this world and you are qualified to enter into his presence to bring him sacrifices of praise, to to cooperate with him in intercession and to be a stand between, an in-between, a go-between for him and the lost people in your family. You are now washed To the point that you are a king and a priest. The purpose of the blood is to bring you into relationship with the creator of the universe. To bring you into interaction with your heavenly father. Hallelujah. Cleansed in the conscience. So that we can serve God without hindrance, without limitation, without excuses of why we're not qualified. I'm qualified because the blood has qualified me. I'm qualified because he's purged me. I'm qualified because Jesus gave his life, sinless blood on the altar. And that blood is still at work and operating in my life today. When you begin to look at the blood, this same chapter says what is operative and active in our life because of the blood. Verse 19 of Hebrews 10. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood. By the blood I have a boldness I could not find any other way. By the blood I have a courage I could not obtain any other way. By the blood I have a confidence in the presence of God that I cannot attain by any works that I could do on this earth, by any sacrifices I could make on this earth, by any any even acts of obedience that I could do are not going to bring to me the boldness and the confidence that the blood of Jesus provides. I have boldness by the blood. I have courage and confidence in the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. 
And because I have that boldness and because I have that confidence and because I have that courage in his presence, I enter. I enter. The evidence that people, not you, other people, the evidence that many people don't have the, the, the full knowledge of the blood is they never enter in God's presence. They don't go to God. They don't enter into his presence because if you know what the blood has done for you, you'll come and you'll come often into his presence. You'll make his presence your dwelling place. You'll make his presence the favorite place for you to be in your life. You'll come in and you will gain help from him. You'll, you'll find out his plan. Boldness to enter means we enter. If I have the boldness, you're going to find me there often. You're going to find me there. Where is she? She's at the foot of the Father. She's at the throne of grace. Why? Because there's nothing holding me back. Can you imagine? We mark our years by, by the, the cross. We are 2,022 years. Amen? Can you imagine? The, we know an access that people didn't know 2,050 years ago. They had prison visitation with the Father. They had limited access to the Father. They had to visit the Father from the, the outer court with their sacrifice on the brazen altar, and then they went home. And only those people who were sanctified for the service in the temple were able to go in the holy place. There were some who were limited in the outer court. There were some with a higher degree of sanctification that could go into the holy place. And then there was one who had the sanctification and the qualification as the high priest to enter in to the most holy place. But when the blood of Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, the veil was removed, signifying that the way into the holiest is now open for whosoever will be washed in the blood and whosoever will call upon the name of Jesus. Now you have access. Come on into the presence of the Father. You're sanctified with the high priest sanctification in Christ. In Christ, I have the sanctification to enter directly into the presence of God as my Father. We have boldness to enter by the blood. By the new and living way which he has consecrated for us, verse 20, through the veil. The veil is now removed. Verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. That's the activity that is produced by our faith in the blood. The greater our interaction with the blood, the more we're going to draw near. I'm talking about faith interaction, believing and, and celebrating the blood and singing about the blood. Sing about the blood in your house. Worship about the blood in your house. Read about the blood in your house. Study about the blood in your house. Ask the Father to show you more. Why? Because the greater understanding I have of what that blood accomplishes in me, not just the day I come to know Jesus as Lord, but every day. His blood is at work in the body, just like your blood is at work in your body right now. 
His blood is at work in our lives. And our faith in that blood, the evidence of that faith is my coming near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. There it is again. That second application of the blood, sprinkling my heart, sprinkling my heart so that there's no evil conscience in me. God doesn't want you to hold on to the shame of what you did trying to make yourself pay for it. Jesus already paid for it. He wants you to let it go. He wants you to wash that out of your life. He wants you to cleanse your conscience of every sin you've ever done. Every sin you've ever done. God's not remembering it. He has removed it. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. He takes away our sins. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to pay for that, but leave it there so you remember it. He takes it away. And he wants it taken out of your conscience. If it's in your conscience, it's not because God wants it there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 1. I love to read the songs and the, the worship in heaven that we find in Revelation. Here in chapter 1, verse 5. We see some of what is worship in heaven. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us in, from our sins, washed washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The blood qualifies us to serve God acceptably. We've got to apply it to our lives. We've got to apply the blood to our lives. I want to pray for you. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that every person who has heard this truth would walk in a full comprehension and application that there would be a progression as they come to the light of your word concerning the supernatural working of your blood, that they would gain skill and gain strength and gain confidence to the point that they have the boldness and they operate in that boldness 
dealing with you, Father, as our heavenly Father, as our God, as our King, that they would come, Father, with such a openness of heart and such a transparency, not self-preserving, not holding back, not trying to to, uh, establish their own way of righteousness, but the righteousness by the blood. Let us come through the righteousness which is by the blood of Jesus, justified by the blood, made holy by the blood. And as we enter into your presence, Father, let there be a continual interaction and a receiving of all that you have. Every plan, Father, let it be made clear. Every area that you desire to help us and we haven't been asking for your help because we felt unworthy. Father, let us open our lives to your help. Let us open our lives to your ability, not our ability. To your will, not our will. Let us see the love that you have for us that is exampled and displayed and demonstrated by the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, as that blood brings a greater understanding of our righteousness and our holiness and our sanctification, let there be a confidence in the way that we deal with the adversary. Let all shame through which he has brought a stumbling block, let it be removed. Every shame where he has found an inroad through that shame into our situation, let that door be shut in the name of Jesus. Father, layers, layers, layer upon layer where that shame has been hidden and, and where we haven't even been aware of it until it sabotages us. Father, I apply the blood to those areas. I apply the blood washing, washing, washing the conscience of your people. Washing and cleansing and purging from every shred of condemnation and shame from our past. Say this with me. I accept the cleansing of the blood of Jesus in my conscience, in my awareness, in my perception. As I come to God, I come with the blood cleansing me. I come with the blood Working in my life. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now just see yourself standing face to face in the presence of the Father. See yourself at His throne. See yourself approaching Him. Approaching Him. No no sensing of guilt. No sensing of shame, but sensing the blood. Sensing the cleansing of that blood. Supernatural cleansing. Supernatural cleansing. 
supernatural cleansing, glorified. When it talks about our garments being washed in the blood, it says that they're brightly shining. That's a glory. The glory that Adam lost, the blood restores. The glory that Adam lost for his covering, the blood restores. We're glorified through that blood. We're cleansed to that place of brightness, that place of purity and innocence in the Father, just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified by the blood. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Can we worship Him for the blood for a moment? Play whatever you're the Holy Spirit has brought to my attention. When it says our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and we focused on shame, but the Holy Spirit brought to my attention grief and that the blood of Jesus, there's supernatural ability in that blood to deal with grief. Grief that tries to, to dampen your joy. Grief that, that brings with it a supernatural heaviness. There is a natural dealing with someone being 
when they move to heaven, when that death occurs in that natural arena, there's that emotional, soulish dealing with that person's transition, that person no longer being with us. But the enemy would like to take that grief and supercharge it with his power. And he would like to take that grief and use it as a weight that holds you down in places where God's trying to lift you up. To hold you down in, in your, your entering in. The blood of Jesus can free us from that heaviness. The blood of Jesus can free us from that heaviness. The blood of Jesus can free us from that heaviness. Let's apply the blood there too. Say this with me, Father. over any grief that is in my life I bring that grief to you I recognize the natural operation of that grief and Father I accept your healing in this area but I apply the blood of Jesus to free me from anything the enemy would try to do or bring into my life because of that grief. I resist grief in Jesus' name. And I accept the healing in my soul Father you restore my soul in Jesus name hallelujah thank you Lord kings and priests see yourself see yourself see yourself in the blood see yourself holy by the blood justified by the blood hallelujah thank you Father thank you Father